I woke up to her staring at me. I think some part of me, some deep instinct, had felt her gaze even though she was silent and almost invisible in the darkened corner of my bedroom. I remember having a moment of confusion as I wondered if I was dreaming or if I was awake, if I was seeing things. But no, she was there. A young woman in her late 20s or early 30s, dressed in jean shorts and a purple t-shirt, chin-length blonde hair framing a face of hard angles and deep shadows. I sat up with a start, but she didn't move a muscle. Miss? Hello? No response. I felt my fear and my anger begin to grow. Ma'am, why are you in my house? Are you high or something? She moved then, the motion after such stillness making her seem like a statue come to life. Leaning forward, I saw more of her face. She was crying. I wish. No, I'm fully here. For now. I felt my anger cooling a bit. Maybe she was a junkie, but maybe she was just confused or needed help. Lady, did someone hurt you or did you fall or something? You're in my house and I don't know you. The woman gave a short and bitter laugh. <laughs> so you say. She wasn't acting violent or even clearly crazy, but this was already past the threshold of weirdness that I felt I should be dealing with without calling the cops. I eased my hand over to the nightstand where my phone was charging. Look, I don't know what's going on, but I'm kind of freaked out. If you don't go, I'm going to call 911 and then let them figure this out, okay? Do you want to go? Or do you want me to call? She shrugged. I could see her shirt said, Be the change, not the doll hair. The fuck did that... I can't leave. They won't let me. It's part of a game. What game? What are you talking about? I was already punching 911 as I spoke, half asking the question just to stall her. She clearly had something fucked up in the head, and I really don't want to get stabbed because I waited too long to call for help. The woman just stared at me as I talked to 911, and it was only when I finished the initial details to the dispatcher that she interrupted. Please don't let them take me. I couldn't help but pull the phone away from my ears. I focused on her again. I knew she had to be crazy, a paranoid schizo or something, but the raw... Sadness and fear in her voice made me doubt myself. It was stupid. Crazy people get very genuinely upset about their delusions all the time. It doesn't make them real, but... Something about this woman made me want to believe her. To help her. Don't let who take you. What are you talking about? She leaned forward more, but stopped when she saw me slightly recoil. When the cops arrive, they're not really going to be cops. They'll send two men. They'll look like twins. They'll even tell you a joke about how they're probably the only twin cops in the world. But they aren't cops. And they aren't taking me to jail or to a hospital or whatever. I heard the dispatcher's voice still talking into the phone, and I surprised myself by hanging up on them. I kept studying this strange woman sitting in front of me. Where do they take you, then? 
Her tears had slowed down before, but I saw new tracks glistening down her cheeks as she looked away for a moment. They take me to this place they call the farm, though I don't know what it really is. It's very big and very remote, but that's what they do most nights. They take me to that place. She swallowed and wiped at her eyes. Sometimes they can't wait. They just get a little ways from here and pull over. Get me out and drag me into the woods. Tear me apart. I felt my eyes going wide. Are, are you saying they... Did someone rape you? She gave another short, sad laugh as she shook her head. <laughs> no. I said they tear me apart. Bite me, eat me. On the nights that they lose control. The other times, most of the time, they carry me to the farm. And that's so much worse. I slid off the bed, my stomach sour with fear. I made a mistake not getting away from her sooner, not staying on the line with 911. She was clearly insane, and might be dangerous, and I was trapped in here with her. Trying to sound calm, I eased toward the door as I kept talking. I, uh, I see. You look pretty good for someone who's been eaten, or whatever. The woman grimaced as she stood up. Don't you think I know that, John? I can't explain it. I don't know how or why they're doing it, but every night, when things finally go dark, I wake back up here with you. Not a mark on me and dressed like it's the first night. I think I was living the first night over and over, but it's not always the same. You're not always the same. So I have to be coming back every night. She gave a shudder. And then they come and take me again. She had taken a couple steps toward me, and I avoided her touch as I stepped out into the hallway. Look, I think you're just confused or sleepwalking, maybe. I don't know how you know my name, but maybe we met once and now I'm in some weird dream you've had. Either way. The woman stopped in the doorway and sighed. I don't know why I keep trying. You never believe me. You never remember. There was a knock at the front door. Her face crumpled as she looked in its direction. And now it's too late. I almost reached out for her, trying to comfort her. I wanted her to know I was on her side, whatever side that was, and I was going to try and help her. But then the knock came again. This time harder and more... Insistent. I... I'm sorry. Look, let's just talk to them. See if they can help, okay? She just stared bleakly as I backed down the hall to the living room and out to the front foyer. Just let me answer the door. I'm not going to let anyone hurt you. The words sounded stupid and hollow as I said them, but then I reminded myself that what the woman was saying was insane. No one was trying to hurt her, and I needed her out of my house. So I opened the door and saw a pair of twins in police uniforms smiling at me. Evening, sir. 
We've got a 911 call at this residence. The one on the right spoke while the left twin just nodded and kept smiling. I glanced back and saw that the woman wasn't in the doorway of the bedroom anymore. Shit, where'd she gone? Uh, yeah, I, well, there was a woman in my house. I woke up and she was in my bedroom. I've never met her before. The right twin looked at the left with a smirk. We've heard of that one before, eh, Chip? Chip looked back at the right twin with a knowing wink. Indeed we have, Chomp. I blinked. <laughs> I'm sorry. I- I'm not trying to be rude, but did you just say his name is Chomp? Chomp turned back to give me a squinting perusal. He said Champ. My name is Champ. Have you been drinking tonight, sir? As I went to answer, Chimp clicked a flashlight on his shoulder and shined it in my face. You can be honest with us, sir. Have you hurt that girl? I raised my hands to block the light, and suddenly Chomp, or Champ, was gently pushing me against the doorframe. Sir, please keep your hands lowered. We don't want any trouble, and I'm sure you don't either. Fighting down the new confusion and irritation, I shook my head. I don't. I just want her out and all of you gone. Champ nodded. Good. Chip, go secure the interior while I keep an eye on our friend. See if you can find this lady he claims not to know. (laughs) He chuckled again, his good humor seemingly back. Although I will say, calling the cops is hell of a way to end a night of romance. Chip shot past us into the house, and I found myself ignoring Champ's comments to call after the other twin. Please go easy with her. She's really upset and confused. Champ stepped back and gave another nasty chuckle as I looked down the hall. Chip had done a cursory look around the living room and dining room, but then he bypassed the rest and went straight to the dark door leading into my bedroom. The inky black seemed to swallow him as he entered, and only a few seconds later I heard the woman screaming. I started to go back in, and Champ lightly put his hand on the back of my chest. Hold tight, Spore. My brother can handle her. I went to respond, but then I saw them both emerging from the shadows, Chip walking her out with her arms behind her back. The twin looked past her to Champ. She was in the closet. The fucking closet. It was a classic. Is she okay? Chip ignored me, but Champ stepped closer as they approached. His breath was hot and strange-smelling as he leaned down to whisper to me. She looks fine as paint to me, sport. Lucky break for you, huh? We'll have her out of your hair in no time. She called out something, but at the time I didn't understand it, and I was more concerned with Champ hurting her as he turned to stop her. But all he did was grip her shoulders and steer her away from me, and within a second, Chip had caught up from behind, and they were carrying her out to the patrol car. I trailed behind, somehow more scared and worried now than I had been all night. I bet you've never been visited by twin cops before, eh? Champ's eyes twinkled in the sodium street lamp as he closed the woman into the back passenger compartment. Why, well, I bet we're the only pair in the country. Maybe the world. I nodded numbly. <sighs> yeah, I, I, I guess so. He watched me for a moment before glancing down at the window where the woman was staring out at me. I guess that makes you double lucky tonight. I forced myself to look away from her gaze and caught Chip's eye on the far side of the car. 
Where are you taking her? Just to the local jail or where? Chimp looked at Champ, who was grinning at me again. Why, sure. That's exactly where we're going, assuming we don't stop for some grub on the way. He shot a glance at Chip. What do you think, brother? I know we'll get in trouble, but, hell, sometimes the appetites rule, eh? He looked back at me, his face serious now. Don't worry, sir. We'll take good care of her. You have a good rest of your evening. I wanted to ask more, but they were already getting in the car and driving away. The last thing I saw was her looking at me through the back of the glass as they faded into the night. I felt jittery and unsatisfied as I walked back inside and shut the door. What had she been saying? Something about the owl? What had it been? Ask the owls if I'm telling the truth. Oh, fuck. When I moved into this house six years ago, I found out it had a security camera covering the front and backyards. Both feeds went to a little computer monitor in the man cave rumpus room basement, as well as to a hard drive that kept seven days backup. The cameras were probably 10 or 15 years old, and I found the whole setup slightly creepy, but I'd never gotten rid of it. It was already installed and running, and it could come in handy if someone ever tried to break in or mess with my car. But that had never happened, and over the years, I rarely thought about it unless someone commented on one of the fake owls, one sitting on a post in the backyard and the other in a tree next to the driveway. When someone did comment, I would always get embarrassed and explain that it wasn't a decorating choice. It was what the previous owner had set up to hide the security cameras. My hand was numb as I gripped the knob to the basement door. I half expected and hoped that I'd check the camera's computer and find that it had died in the last few months without me knowing, but no. It was humming right along, and after re-familiarizing myself with the software, I was able to watch my strange encounter with the twin police officers a few minutes earlier. Trembling slightly, I scrubbed back to the night before. Oh God. At 1.32 a.m. the night before, a patrol car had pulled up. The two men that looked like the twins got out and went up to the front door. They knocked and waited for someone to answer. And then I opened the door. A panicked buzzing began to build in my ears as I double-checked the day and time. No, it wasn't a mistake. It really was from the night before. I even remembered wearing that t-shirt to bed that night. But I was the only thing that was different. The girl they pulled from the house was the same, if less defiant that time. She walked somberly to the patrol car, and though the video was black and white, I could see enough to guess that it was the same shirt and shorts she'd been wearing tonight. I had reached for my phone to call... Who? 911, my family across the country, George and Ruby, who could I call that wouldn't think I was crazy as I thought the woman was? I need more proof. So I went back another night, and then another. I went back five nights, and with slight variations, the same thing happened every single time. How is this possible? Trembling, I started to call 911 again. I needed to tell someone, and I needed to make sure that woman was really okay. That they hadn't... Well, that she had gotten somewhere safe. And then I woke up in my bed. 
I wasn't particularly worried or stressed out about anything. I had a few hours of work to do during the day, but that night I was going with George and Ruby to an exclusive interactive adventure I'd gotten invited to online. It was called The True Horror Movie Experience. It was described as a multi-night tailor-made journey through the terror and madness. It sounded weird and awesome, and I'd been looking forward to it, well, for a long time. At the time, I didn't remember anything from the night before. I had no memories of the strange woman in my room, the men who came and took her, or what the owl showed me after they were gone. I'm telling you this so you can understand that I didn't know. Despite everything that had happened, everything that she had tried to warn me, to save us all, none of it mattered because they had taken it all away. Until they gave it back. Peace by bloody peace. We went to a plain, nondescript building on the edge of town. It was nestled in the middle of a bland office park, and if the place had been busy earlier in the day, it was pretty much empty by 4 o'clock on a Saturday. I pulled into a parking space as George whistled in my ear from the back seat. (whistles) Wow, (laughs) this place looks super reputable. I have no bad feelings about this at all. I saw Ruby shoot him a dark look from beside me. It had been six months since they'd stopped their brief dating experiment, and while things were still weird at times, I was relieved to see they were acting more like their old selves again. That was one of the reasons I'd wanted them both to come, after all. I was tired of having them bail on plans as soon as they found out the other was going to be there. Besides, it's going to be really cool, guys. I mean, the invite was kind of random, but I checked them out online. Lots of rave reviews. They are apparently at the cutting edge of doing these interactive adventure things. Not like that bullshit we went to last year in New York where people just shove you around and scream in your face. I looked to Ruby for support and she nodded, but her expression was still uncertain as she glanced around the parking lot. George leaned up to look at the building we were parked at. Fuck, I hope not. I almost punched that one dude that got... well, that disrespected you. I watched in the rear view as he glanced awkwardly at Ruby, who gave him a quick smile and nod. Blushing slightly, he opened his door. Okay, let's see if this place is even open. I started to open the door when Ruby touched my arm. I'm not trying to be a downer, but are you sure about this? He's not wrong about it looking sketchy. Sighing, I nodded. I know. But let's make sure this is the right address, and if it is, we can check out how it looks inside. I grinned. If any of us get a bad vibe, the safe word is Penguin. We'll bail. I opened the door and looked out at George. Hey, dickhead, the safe word is Penguin. His eyes widened. Fuck, we need safe words? I tried to contain some of my nervous excitement as we filled out our questionnaires. This place was fucking awesome. We'd went to the front door, found it unlocked, and entered into a small, plain-looking hobby that contained a sofa, two chairs, and a bored-looking receptionist behind a desk. After we gave them our names, we were immediately escorted through another door into the real office. It was like something out of a movie. Everything was brightly lit and clean, and with well-dressed people moving to and fro across a large atrium that 
looked too large and too grand to belong in the office building, either aesthetically or physically. A young woman holding a tablet approached us and introduced herself as Swan. She said she'd been our guide and liaison during our adventure, and after we filled out our questionnaires and signed our liability waivers, she'd get started on a brief orientation before the fun began. I glanced at George and Ruby and saw they were as awestruck as I was. Grinning, I nodded and told her to lead on. I was working on what had to be the tenth page of the longest form I'd filled out when George spoke up beside me. So, why us? Or, well, why John? How'd he get picked for... He gestured around at the softly backlit walls and clearly expensive furniture of the office we were sitting in. All this... Swan smiled. We've been doing promotions and testing like this for a number of years in various places around the world, utilizing collected internet search and expenditure data in conjunction with our own witch's brew of algorithms. We send out invitations to likely candidates we believe would be interested in what we offer and that can provide useful feedback. It was Ruby's turn to ask a question now. Yeah, but all this in a... No offense. Shitty little office park with no sign-ups? And John, you had to pay what? A uh, hundred bucks per person, I muttered, glancing between Ruby and Swan with increasing nervousness. It wasn't that the questions weren't valid, but I had a gnawing fear that if we asked too many, they would just take away our clipboard and tell us to leave. Instead, Swan just nodded at me before looking back to Ruby. Ruby was frowning slightly. A hundred bucks per for what? A super-exclusive multi-night tailored horror experience? Shit, we paid more than that last year to get shoved around in a warehouse while the dude tried to grab my tits. The girl chuckled. <laughs> I understand, but what you must realize is that the money isn't of really any consequence. We only charge so we get serious applicants. Weed out the kids and the looky-loos. Her cheek twitched slightly. We're still in the testing and research phase for this now, so the work is being done for future profitability and not immediate significant recompense. I caught Ruby's eye. Look, it's legit and cool so far, right? She nodded slowly. It does, but it's just... No, you're right. Ruby looked back at Swan and gestured at her with her pen. But you better not harvest our organs or some shit. Swan laughed again. <laughs> no, nothing as dramatic as all that. Congratulations for being selected to participate in the true horror movie experience. This is your orientation for night one. The blue pill you've just been given contains an organic and wholly safe combination of natural ingredients that will heighten your creativity and your suggestibility for the next few hours. It is an essential part of your first evening and must be taken prior to leaving for the event site. This is a mandatory element of the experience, but rest assured it has been tested. It has no negative or permanent side effects and will not render you unconscious or unable to control your body. Once you take the pill, please put the provided black hood on and secure it comfortably at the neck. Someone will be by to collect you and take you to the event site. To my surprise, neither George nor Ruby argued about the pill, and seeing them both take it, I took my own. It wasn't until I was in the muted black world of the hood that I heard George speaking beside me again. So, um, 
Are you going to tell us anything else? Any rules? Or Swan's voice was higher and more distant this time when she cut in. Oh, no. Uh, there are no rules. There was more tension when George spoke again. No rules? Like, like you mean like the actors are trying to keep us safe? I mean, there had to be some kind, right? There was no answer. Fuck, it won't start. I snickered at George. <laughs> yeah, funny. Best cut it out before Ruby gets in. She's in no mood after that stupid shit you pulled. He glared at me. I'm not joking. Watch. I saw him turn the ignition key, but the car didn't start or even make any complaining noises. It's fucking dead, man. Ruby opened the back door and got in. What's the holdup? Crank that AC. It's hot as shit out here. She saw my expression and raised an eyebrow. What's wrong? George can't get it to crank. It doesn't do anything when he tries. She rolled her eyes. Fuck. This is just the best fucking day ever. George started to apologize again, and she raised a finger. No, don't even start. I'm hot, my leg hurts, and I know you're sorry I fell, but if you try to apologize again right now, I'm going to be shitty to you. So just stop. George frowned sadly and tried the key again. Still nothing. Car service, then? John, you've got it on your insurance, right? I nodded. Yeah, but no signal out here. <laughs> I laughed dryly. You're the one that wouldn't go out here for a nature hike. Ruby flipped me off as she checked her phone. Me neither. George? He shook his head before getting out suddenly to go look under the hood. When he was gone, I looked back at her. Go easy on him, okay? You know he likes you, and it killed him that you fell when he tried to jump scare you on the trail. She sighed. I know, but it was stupid. He just needs to think before he does shit. I nodded. Yeah, but he just gets excited about stuff. I mean, you know how he is. He's like a big kid sometimes. And, oh shit, someone's coming. But who would do something like that? I'm no mechanic, but that engine was torn to shit. Errol glanced over where George was, squeezed in next to him on the pickup bench's seat. Ruby had opted to sit in the bed, so I was on the other side of George, getting to breathe in the aroma of old tobacco and stale wheat that filled up the cab. When our backwoods savior spoke, a sweetly decaying scent pushed its way past the others. Kids, most like. They think it's fucking funny. Little shits come from the other side of the river. The town is only a few miles that away past the bend and they come out camping, earning badges, or whatever it is they do. What they wind up doing mostly is raising hail and causing some damage to property. His light green eyes were back on the road now. Sometimes I catch one of them. When he had first drove up and offered to help, I had noticed that Errol seemed both old and young, especially around the eyes. It was more than just looking tired. He looked used up somehow. Spent. But not now. Now his face was almost glowing as he smiled at some unknown memory. Catch and correct him. Correct him good and proper. Shifting uncomfortably, I decided to change the subject before George asked another question. Um, this town. Is that where we're going? 
Maybe we can get phone service there, or at least a tow. Errol licked his lips, but didn't look my way. No, I have a line you can use at the house. It's closer, and you won't find those proper town folk wanting much truck with you come rolling into town with me. Our farm isn't too far now. We'll have you fixed up soon enough. I felt my stomach clenching. This wasn't right. I didn't want to piss the guy off, but I'd seen enough movies to know that this was going to end with us butchered in his basement. The guy was probably a harmless good Samaritan, but was it worth the risk? Fuck no, it wasn't. Uh, actually, I, I, I know it's a hassle, but if you don't mind, take us up to town, okay? It'll be easier to get help there, and we'll be out of your hair quicker, too. Errol cut his eyes towards me. You taking liberties with my good nature, boy? I raised an eyebrow. What? I don't, I don't know what you mean. I mean to say that I'm already helping you. Now you decided my help ain't good enough. Want to go crawl to the city folk, who I've already told you ain't going to help you for shit. Or don't you trust my word? George raised his hands. Hey, and nobody's saying that, man. We appreciate it. We just need to get to town. That's cool with you. You said it's pretty close anyway, right? Errol slammed on the brakes and the trunk lurched to a squealing halt. Get out. I put my hand on the door handle, but George was already protesting. Fuck, man, chill out. We we need the ride, okay? The other man had been staring out at the road, but now he swung his gaze around to George, his lips skinned back and his teeth only a couple of inches from George's face as he snarled. I said get out of my fucking truck, shitbird. You move, or I'll by God move you. I yanked the door open and grabbed George's arm. Let's go. Now. I glanced past him to Errol. We meant no disrespect. Thanks for carrying us this far. George frowned at me. No, fuck that. I gripped his wrist and pulled harder. Shut up and get out. We're going. Ruby had heard enough to already be out of the truck bed, and I saw George glance past me at her before nodding. He barely had a foot on the ground before Errol peeled off, causing George to stumble against me with a curse. Fucking Red could have run me over. I looked at him and shook my head. You were being a dick, and he was being creepy as fuck. We're better... I looked at him and shook my head. You were being a dick, and he was creepy as fuck. We're better... Look, he's stopping again. I glanced at Ruby before following her gaze up the hill. At its summit, Errol had stopped the truck. Maybe he was reconsidering kicking us out after all. Well, too fucking bad. Look, if he comes back and offers us rides again, we say no. I do not trust that fucker. Ruby nodded. I agree. It was already looking like the start of a slasher movie. George looked funny and then nodded with a laugh. She smiled at him, but it fell away as she glanced back up the hill. He's turning around. I was already preparing a polite refusal in case he asked to give us a ride again, but the thought faded as I saw him coming back. He was weaving back and forth, and he was driving way too fast if he was going to stop or talk to us. But it didn't look like he was going to go past, either. It looked like he was aimed right for us. Fuck! Run! I turned and grabbed Ruby's arm, starting down the steep shoulder toward the nearby tree line. 
I looked back and saw that George was only a few feet behind, but as I watched, he stumbled and fell. I nearly turned to go back for him, but the truck was too close and I knew I'd never make it. So instead, I plunged into the trees with Ruby. Where's George? Where is he? I shook my head as we pushed further into the trees. He fell. Uh, the truck was coming. I, I, I didn't see him get hit. I, I don't know what happened. She stopped and pulled away. We have to go back and get him. Nodding, I looked around. We were at least 30 feet into thick trees now. Errol might come in, but his truck wouldn't make it very far. I know, but we have to be careful. Let's go down some and then cut back toward the road. See if we see him. Ruby headed off without another word, and we made good time backtracking parallel to the road before cutting back toward the shoulder. When we got to the edge of trees, I could see the spot where George had fallen. There was no sign of him, Errol, or the truck now. Shit, shit, shit. He might have taken him. We have to find him. Ruby's eyes were wide now, her expression matching the guilt and fear and worry that was churning in my own belly. I gave her a quick hug as she pulled out her phone. Still no signal on hers or mine. We debated going back to the car, but what was the point? It still wouldn't run, and George had the keys. We decided to keep going along the edge of the woods, following the road until we found a sign or someone to help or get a signal back. As we started walking, I realized how low the sun in the sky was now. It would be dark soon. Ruby's hand was sweaty in my own as we stepped into the cornfield. It was the first sign of life or people we had seen in over an hour of walking, and while we both knew there was a chance this was Errol's place, we had to take the risk. It could be that the distant lights we saw across the field belonged to a nice family sitting down to dinner, or at least someone halfway normal that would let us use their phone. The air was cold as we passed between the green rows of corn, and with each breath I took in a spiky, earthy scent that made my eyes water. Suddenly Ruby stopped as her grip on my hand tightened. Did you hear something? Ruby's voice was low and strained, and in the moonlight, I could see how tired and scared she was. I thought I heard something behind us. We both sat silent for several moments, but all I heard was the light rustling of the stalks in the evening breeze that had picked up as we made our way through the corn. I finally shook my head. I don't hear anything other than the wind. She listened another couple of seconds, and then we started back to walking. The field sloped downward in the direction we were headed, making it harder to get a clear view of what was in front of us until we were almost out of the field. When we reached the edge, I felt some relief to a large farmhouse come to view. It was slightly run down, but there were lights on inside and no indications of anything strange or ominous. I looked around for any signs of arrow, but there was no one visible outside or through the windows we could see, and the only car outside was an old Crown Victoria. We broke from the corn at a slow run, warily glancing in every direction as we made our way to the front porch and knocked on the door. There was no answer. We knocked again. Then we called out while knocking a third time, letting them know that we had an emergency and just needed a phone. Still, nothing. Maybe no one was home, or maybe they just weren't going to come to the door when a stranger was banging on it at night. Either way, we needed to get inside.
I started looking around for something to break a window when a thought occurred to me. Reaching out, I tried the doorknob and found that it turned easily. I glanced back at Ruby, who shrugged and gave me a shooing gesture to go on in. I called out again as we answered, saying that we were stepping inside if anyone was there, but we only needed to use the phone to call for help, to please not be scared or shoot us. Like before, there was no response. Empty or not, we just needed to hurry. For our sakes, and for George's. The house was decorated like I would expect an old farmhouse to be decorated. Plain, wood furniture, decorations that my mother would call country, and... No phones. We moved from the front hall through a living room and dining room before coming to a large kitchen with a modern stove on one end and an old iron wood-burning stove on the other. We looked on all the counters and walls, but there was no sign of a phone or even a phone jack. We went back to the front hall, this time going to the right instead of the left. It was a parlor or study of some kind, and while there was an old television in one corner, there was no sign of any phone there either. I was looking along the baseboards for a phone line when Ruby spoke, her voice trembling slightly. There's... There's someone out there. I stood up and saw she was looking out the parlor window. Out in the yard? Maybe it's the owner. We can... No. Not in the yard. Uh, Across the field. On the far side. I see fire. They're lighting something on fire. I went to stand beside her, and at first I didn't see anything. But then a flicker of orange caught my eye in the darkness. What the fuck? The flame grew bigger, and my first thought was that someone had started a bonfire over there, not far from where we had gone to the corn just a few minutes earlier. My heart began to pound faster. What if it was Errol, still hunting us? And why would anyone... But wait. It wasn't a bonfire. It was a person. Someone had set a person on fire. Oh God, it's George! They're burning George! Ruby started to move toward the front door and I grabbed her. She was crying now and it took all my strength to keep hold of her as she struggled. Let me fucking go! We have to help him! My hands were shaking as I held on to her. We don't know that. It's too far away. It could be a dummy for all we know and... If it is George... It's too late to help him anyway. She lowered her head and began to cry harder. Looking back to the window, I saw that it wasn't a dummy after all. It was moving. More than moving, the blazing figure was walking forward, stepping into the corn. My hands fell from Ruby's arms. That didn't make sense. How could someone walk when they were being burned alive? Ruby was watching beside me now. What? They're walking toward the house? How, how, how the hell are they still alive? Oh god, they're coming this way. Her voice was deep with sadness, but that was being overtaken by a gnawing cord of fear. They, they're fucking running this way. She was right. The burning figure was silently running through the field, leaving a firing path of burning corn behind it as it raced toward the house. 
None of it should be possible. None of it made any sense. But as I saw its orange glow approaching, none of it should be possible. None of it made any sense. But as I saw its orange glow approaching, a voice deep in my heart told me the truth that my mind wouldn't speak. Possible or not, it was coming for us. Ruby ran back to the front hall and locked the door before sliding a small chest in front of it as well. Remembering a back door in the kitchen, I went and shoved the kitchen table against it before grabbing us each a knife from a nearby butcher's block. We met back in the living room, and I was going to ask if we should go upstairs and look for better weapons, but then it was too late. When the burning thing struck the front door, it began to splinter and char away immediately. The only stairs we knew of were just ten feet from where it was already breaking through, sending streaks of orange light across the faded wallpaper of the front hall. So instead, we began backing away into the dining room. Ruby grabbed my arm. The kitchen. We need to go out the back. Nodding, we turned and run as a flash of orange light painted the interior of the house like it was a new sun. It was inside with us now. We had made it to the kitchen and were pulling the table back from the door when it caught us. I turned as I grabbed Ruby, her flesh beginning to cook immediately as she screamed. Tossing her against the far wall, it reached for me. I ducked back and swiped at it with my knife, but it only bounced ineffectively off its arm as it grabbed my shoulder. The pain was excruciating, and I could feel my eyes already beginning to boil from the heat radiating off of it as I stared into its face. It was George. Or at least it looked like him. Parts of his face were gone already, but he was burning so slowly I could still see enough to know. I wanted to ask him why or how or tell him I was sorry, but the air was already cooking my lungs. But somehow, even in the midst of the flame, he was able to speak. Why did you leave me? I jerked in my chair, squinting at the white lights overhead. What the fuck? Where was I? I looked around and saw Ruby and George were sitting next to me. And there was that girl. Swan? What was... I numbly took a cup of water that Swan offered to me. Drink up. The first time there's a bit of cotton mouth. I drank the water even as George threw his to the floor. What the fuck was that? What the fuck was that? Swan chuckled. I take it you had a memorable first adventure. George stood up, towering over the seated woman. Adventure? What the fuck are you talking about, lady? What did you do to us? Frowning, the woman gestured to his chair. Please sit back down. As you can see, you're unharmed. You've just been given the gift of an experience that would kill most people with none of the negative consequences. And this, of course, was just the introduction. The tutorial, if you will. George reluctantly sat down again as she grinned and looked at us each in turn. The future events are bound to be even more stimulating. Ruby crushed her empty cup as she gave a small laugh. <laughs> Lady, you have to be batshit to think we're ever going to do that again. Or anything like it. I don't know how you did any of it, and I also don't care. I just want to never fucking go through anything like that again. She looked at me. Penguin. Fucking penguin. I nodded. Agreed. It was after midnight before I got into bed. 
The three of us had been strangely quiet on the way back, though we'd agreed to meet the next day and talk through everything. For now, we were all just too exhausted, and when my head finally hit the pillow, I was fast asleep. Until I woke up a short while later to the woman back in my bedroom. This time she was sitting on my bed, gently shaking me awake. I looked up, first startled and then terrified as the sight of her brought back my memories of the night before. What? John, I need you to just listen to me. We don't have much time before the twins come for me, and we need to talk. 